John the Baptist was born to a family of great privilege. Luke tells us in his gospel that John is descended from Moses' brother Aaron, which means he was born into the priesthood as his father and father's father had been. His lineage anticipated that he would serve and preserve the institution at the center of their common life, the very dwelling place of God, and that his life's work would be to secure God's blessing for the land and its people. And more than anything else, his work required that he remain ritually pure, unblemished and whole, uncontaminated by the unclean, the sick or dying, or those too poor to keep the law. John's birthright then would have been to wear the very softest robes, to marry the most well-to-do, and to work in the most prestigious building in town. As a child, he would have cut his teeth on the succulent fruits and tender meat of the gifts offered at the altar to the glory of God. So what happened? How is it that John the Baptist traded his fine linen caftan for nothing more than a scratchy camel hair speedo? <laughs> You've seen the icons. And how is it he traded a diet of food worthy of God for food, for a food group identified as an abomination, locusts as swarming things? And how is it he strayed from the safety and security of life in the temple to the perils of the wilderness? I wonder. Whatever it was, it must have been compelling. Not only to John, but to the people of Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region along the Jordan, they came out from cities and rural villages and all the places in between. They gathered from differing tribes and families, people of all genders, colors, young and old, married and single, and each one had a story to tell of how things were not the way they were supposed to be. All of them were living under political and economic oppression with huge gaps of wealth, and power, and privilege. Out there in the desert were people with nothing to lose and people with everything to lose. Not unlike us, there were marriages in trouble and people struggling with loneliness or addictions and people who didn't know what to do for their children and children who were being brutally teased for just trying to figure out who they were given to be and people who were unemployed and people who were miserable in their jobs along with all sorts of other troubles that threatened to tear families and friendships apart. Things were not at all the way they should be. Things needed to change, and staying where they were wasn't going to change anything. So they came out into the desert where there was no place to hide and nothing much to eat, a place of danger and vulnerability, to hear this half-wild man, John the Baptist, talk about a new beginning 
a new way of being, about the realm of God being near. And John cries out, repent. And maybe we think he is calling the people to fall on their knees and wail to be consumed by their guilt and shame. But the word we read as repent actually is the Greek metanoia. It speaks of transformation, of conversion of heart and mind. It means to turn around, to go in a new direction. John isn't saying, be ashamed, the end is near. He is saying, turn around. What you're looking for begins here. Turn together to a new direction. Turn and receive new life. And slowly, the people turn. And as they do, something amazing, something unexpected begins to happen. The people turn. And instead of seeing just John, they see each other. People with different backgrounds and life experiences turn and begin to see each other. And slowly, slowly they begin to talk and they begin to listen. They begin to share their stories and sing the songs of their hearts and show each other their wounds. And it is hard. It is so hard. Because the stories are complicated. And the wounds are deep and messy. And as they begin to share, they begin to see. They begin to see not just with the eyes of their head, but with the eyes of love. Like most of us, they've been more aware of their own suffering than of the suffering they have caused. And suddenly now, they begin to see where they have wounded one another where actions past and present, things done and undone, things done on their behalf, exploitive systems they have participated in and benefited from, marginalizing some and targeting others, they begin to see where they have broken with divine trust. The pain in their neighbor's eyes becomes the pain in their own hearts. With the eyes of love, they recognize sin. Because that's what sin is. Breaking God's trust. Wounding relationships with God and one another. And the more they look, the more they see of their own complicity. And they want to run and hide. But it's the desert. And so they do the only thing left to them, they, they begin to repent, to turn toward one another and to say those three little words that they have feared for so long to say. Three little words they have feared to say because deep inside they believed God was more interested in accusing and judging than in knowing and loving them. Three little words that some feared to say because they had already been blamed for so much, maybe even their own abuse. Blamed for so much that had never been their fault that any talk of responsibility for sin was fraught with trauma and triggers. Three words many had feared to say because the world considered them to be words of weakness and surrender. 
And as these heartfelt words began to rise in their throats, the people realized these were not words to mumble or whisper. Instead, with all the anguish of the past and with all the hope of what is possible, they openly, loudly, joyfully say those three most liberating words, I screwed up! <laughs> we screwed up! We know it happened this way. We know it happened this way because the Greek word Matthew uses when he speaks of the people confessing their sins is exolomogio, which means together, acknowledgingly, openly, and joyfully. This is loud, communal, joyful confession. In order to be ready to receive Jesus, in order to participate in transformation, we have to be willing to turn from seeing ourselves as individuals with all the things that separate us to seeing ourselves as being one body. No more them and us. Only we. And the only way to do that is to deal with the past. When we have been wounded, we need a safe place to share that. And when we have been the one doing the wrongdoing, we need a space to make our confession. And the only way to do that is to share and listen deeply to one another's stories and to discover where the brokenness, the woundedness, where the sin is. And to stop hiding from it. To stop being afraid of it. And instead to own it, to name it, to confess it. And this is where the street preachers wearing cardboard get it wrong. We are not called to repent because the end is near. We are called to repent because the beginning is at hand. The work of transformation doesn't end with telling the truth, but it can't begin until we do. There is more to be done if we are to continue making the path straight. We may need to make amends for some things. We may need to make reparations for others. We will need amendment of life so that we don't fall into the chasm again. This is what John found in the desert to be more precious than privilege, more savory than prime rib, and more powerful than any institution. Leaving the protective isolation of the temple, John followed God into the desert where he found hope among the messy, complicated, wounded, and wondrous lives of theirs, those who dare to speak the truth and those courageous enough to listen. It is Advent. And we are called again to follow John into the land of vulnerability, where there is nowhere to hide and nothing to see but one another, and where the unrelenting, scorching gaze of the eyes of divine love burns out sin and sets us free to begin again. Amen. <laughs>